One of my favorite activities in the world to do, as, as a lot of you know, is to surf. And uh, if you're a surfer and you live in Texas, you've got a problem. You've got a problem because there are not a lot of waves here. So waves, here's what I didn't know before I was a surfer. You, you can't just go down to the beach and surf. I, I thought, you know, before I was a surfer, it's, oh, you go down and there, there's waves rolling. You get a board, wax it up, and you're off. No, it doesn't work that way. No matter if you live in Australia, uh, Hawaii, California, or even Texas, waves are contingent on storms. Storms cause waves. That's right. Amen. We've got another Texas surfer here, you can tell. So, during the summer, I've learned to be a part-time meteorologist, and I track storms when they're way, way, way the heck away from the United States and from the Gulf of Mexico. I do. So it, it allows me either to get the heck out of Dodge and evacuate if necessary, or if we get the correct side of the storm, by the way, this storm is not the correct side of the storm. Do not go in the ocean. Okay, sorry. Then I'll go surf. Does that make sense? So I'll track these storms when they're off, you know, the coast of Africa, where they're on the other side of the planet. And I'm wondering the whole time, will the storm form? And if it forms, you know, will it go up the Atlantic coast? Will it come over the Caribbean islands? Will it get into the Gulf? If it gets into the Gulf, will it go right? Will it go left? Will it give us good winds, bad winds? I'm trying to figure out what this storm is going to do. However, sometimes storms get in, as we all know here living in Houston, and wreak unbelievable havoc in our life. Destroys lives, destroys homes, destroys businesses, and we have to rebuild our life piece by piece. Sometimes storms are unpredictable. Sometimes storms that I think and that the experts say will never get into the Gulf, and if it does, it, wasn't, it will not form, it will not be a clear and present danger to us, and it is. It is. Now, for the past 25 years, I have been tracking a storm. No, not the storm in Point Break, not that storm. I've been tracking a storm that is a type of a worldview, an ideology, if you would, that I thought would never hit the shores of the United States, much less affect the church of Jesus Christ. The storm has been brewing for decades and decades. It's been seeping into academia. It's been seeping into our media. And now it has really become a part of mainstream life. And it is threatening to take over the church and threatening to take over our culture. And I believe this storm is a clear and present danger to the church and to our country and to the Western way of life. Now, one thing I have learned over the years is that ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. So the thought that, you know, we can simply allow something to lie, we simply can't ignore it, we can hope that the storm dissipates, that's not going to happen. And the storm that 
I want to talk to you about today, and really it will undergird a lot of the messages that I'll get into the following weeks. It has to have a name. And for years, some people would call this storm relativism. Other people would call it postmodernism. Some people in academia would call it critical theory. But I, I want to give it the name that some others are using as well and say that the storm that is a clear and present danger to us is a storm that I want to call neo-Marxism. Neo-Marxism. And you say, well, what is neo-Marxism? Basically, neo-Marxism divides the world and divides our country into two groups of people. Those that have power and those that don't have power. And the assumption is that those who have power will oppress those who don't have power. So then you have two more subgroups, those who uh, are the oppressors and those who are the oppressed. And then what they want to do is to divide up our country and even to divide up the church into competing identity groups based upon gender, based upon race, based upon sexuality, or some other term or category that would allow this group of people to be victimized and oppressed. The goal of the neo-Marxists is simple. The goal of the neo-Marxists is to overtake those people that they perceive are oppressing them, to silence their voice, voice, and to divide them and to take away their freedoms and only to allow one thought, one religion, and one ideology to dominate within a group of people or a country. Neo-Marxism is not a storm that's far away from the United States, it used to be, you know, threatening us and will it form, will it develop, will it affect us, will it flood us? It is here, it is flooding us, and we have to take a stand against it. So I'll make this phrase right here. Neo-Marxism is a diabolical idea that poses a clear and present danger to the church and to this country. There's no doubt about it. At the same time, Neo-Marxism is bigger than our two political parties and this election. It's bigger than Democrat or Republican. It's bigger than the 2020 election. And I've heard this every year of my life since I was, you know, even before I was going to vote. This election is the most important election of our lifetime, lifetime, lifetime. And by the way, this is a very important election. All elections are important. Local elections, state elections, national elections are very important. But the issue, the storm that is threatening not just the United States, but Western civilization is bigger. It's, it's bigger than liberal versus conservative, Democrat versus Republican. It's bigger than that. There are people in the gay community there are people in the atheistic community who are just as worried about this storm as I am. From, you know, Dave Rubin to Bill Maher, from Sam Harris to James Lindsay to evolutionary biologist Brett Weinstein. These people, these popularizers, these academics are just as concerned about the storm and the threat 
of neo-Marxism as any conservative pundit ever would be. So, my concern is always, what about the church? What about the gospel? Because my allegiance and our allegiance as Christ followers is to listen to Christ, is to respond to his gospel, and it's to be the church of Jesus Christ in the culture that we're in today. And we live in a culture that is just full of these undercurrents and storms and changes. And it's really hard to know what to embrace and what to reject. Because some of the deceptive philosophy that was in Marxism back in the 19th and 20th century and some of the deceptive philosophies within neo-Marxism that we've seen in the last couple of decades in our, our, our society are, are, they come across packaged in a way that's truth. And in a way, it's kind of a twisting and a perversion of the morality and the ethics stemming from the Judeo-Christian worldview. Now, what's interesting is when you look at the Bible and, and when you look at the letters of Paul, and that's what we've been doing this, this summer. As you recall, we looked at Philippians. We looked at the book of Colossians. Well, Paul in those books is addressing the, the contemporary philosophies and ideologies, the ideas with consequences of the day. The backdrop of the book of Philippians is the philosophy known as Stoicism. The backdrop of the book of Colossians is Gnosticism. So Paul, just like we're doing here today in the next several weeks, would see what is a worldview, what is a philosophy that's a clear and present danger to the church, and how do we address that philosophy? How do we address those ideas with the gospel of Jesus Christ? So what we're doing in this series, and the series is called This Is Us. This is us. And it's a double entendre, right? This is us. The church, and this is us, the church in the U.S., in the United States, in the culture we find ourselves in right now. Okay? So who are we to be? What are we to become? And then how are we to live our lives given the storm that we find ourselves in right now? Key verse is in Ephesians 4, verses 14 and 15. It's in the New Living Translation, which I didn't know this, but another guy on our staff, who I'm not going to name, calls the New Living Translation the offensive line translation of the Bible. Wow, right? I know some offensive linemen that are actually pretty smart. And Anyway, I'll know the deal. So, here we go. Then we will no longer be immature like children, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, what are we to do? We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head 
of the church. Now, I've said this many times before. The church was born into a hostile culture. The church was born into a hostile culture. And when these first believers, these disciples, Paul and Peter and John, went out into the Mediterranean world, they were clear about their message. Their message was not a political message. It wasn't, you better go vote for Nero. Nero's our guy. He's our emperor, right? That wasn't their message. Their message was the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was their message. Their message was not all about advancing the Roman Empire. Their message was about advancing the kingdom of God. So as we look at the various problems that face us today, personally, maybe as our family, in the corporate world, in the educational world, in the political world, we have to be clear as to what the answer is. The answer for the world today is the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ and not the repackaging of the gospel of Karl Marx. Our, our hope, yes, you can clap for that. Our hope, our hope is that those who are the true believers, those who are the true followers of Christ, who want to stand with the confessing church, will restore a deeper understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and not cave in to the demands and the intimidation of the neo-Marxists that are trying to overtake our culture and way of life. By the way, many churches, many pastors are caving in. We're not going to cave. That's just not who we are. We will not cave. Obviously, obviously, obviously we will stand against oppression, racism, and injustice. Because that's who we are. That's what we've been doing for many years. We'll continue to stand against those things, against those sins and those evils. So it's not a, these aren't mutually exclusive. You don't have to cave in to neo-Marxist diabolical ideology and worldview and, you know, you can't be for justice and trying to stamp out oppression. They're not mutually exclusive. At the same time, we, the church, will not allow a group of neo-Marxists to control what we think, what we say, what we do as the church of Jesus Christ. Again, listen, this is not something that's new to me. I didn't read a book this summer over COVID on this issue. Okay, I've been studying this for 25 years, hence the gray hair, or excuse me, not gray hair, white hair, all right? I'm off the bottle. So I've written about it in two different books and I've studied it academically 
when I was working on my doctorate for about five years. So I'm not speaking about something that I don't have knowledge of in, in many different ways. So what I see, and I saw this years ago, what I see this as being really is a power play, okay? So to me, the goal of those who are a part of this neo-Marxist movement and those who are being looped into it is basically power and control. They want to control how we think. They want to control what we say, our vocabulary, which I will not cave into that either. And they want to control our way of life. I mean, maybe you grew up in a fundamentalist church. I've never seen fundamentalism like this before. Well, I don't believe in shoving religion. They're shoving their religion down your throats right now. So again, you know, my primary concern is for the church of Jesus Christ. At the same time, our church lives in our community, lives in our culture. So as we get out of the culture, I believe, again, way past November here, I believe we're going to have to unite with like-minded people on different sides of the political and philosophical arena in order to combat these folks who are really seeking to take away your freedom and my freedom, whether you believe in God or don't believe in God. So we're not going to allow them to, to control us. So what are we going to do? Christ sets our agenda and not the whims and mandates of a godless culture. Does that make sense? Christ is the one who sets the agenda for my life because I'm a Christian. Christ is the one who sets the agenda for the local church because I'm a pastor. And just like Paul, I have a responsibility and we have a responsibility to do what God in Christ is calling us to do in the culture and addressing the problems that face us today, All right? So, in saying that, what is our agenda? Three things. You can write these down. Again, we'll have several weeks to get into some of these more specifically. What are we to do? We saw this in our passage earlier in Ephesians. We are to speak the truth in love. Okay? We're to speak the truth in love. Obviously, we have to listen. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. We have to listen. But at the same time, we have to be confident, we have to be wise, and we have to speak the truth in a loving but firm manner. So we have to speak the truth in love. Second thing is that we will grow in Christ's likeness throughout this storm. Uh, as we were looking at the study on God's will recently, you know, a lot of times we get confused about God's will. What's God's will for my life? You know, what's, what's the future going to hold? She's all about the future. God is really more concerned about the now. If we can follow God and obey him in the now, that will help take care of the future. When we get freaked out about the future and we're worried and we're filled with anxiety because we don't know what's going to happen next, and we don't, and we don't, Focus on what God has for us in the now. And so many times in our life, God uses pain. God uses suffering. God uses difficult storms to conform us and to shape us 
into the character of Christ. We saw that in Ephesians as well. He says, what are we going to do? We're going to grow more and more in the likeness of Christ. If you believe in Christ, his spirit lives inside of you. And he's pushing back against your selfishness and my selfishness. And he's calling us to live a life of peace, of patience, of endurance, and of integrity. And he's doing that inside of us by his spirit individually. And as we come together as a church, he's doing that in us collectively as a body of Christ. So bad news, good news, right? The bad news is the most growth in our life usually occurs during storms. The good news is that's where the growth is if we respond to God in that moment. And that's what we, we seek to do. Third thing, it's a part of Christ's agenda for us, I believe in our church, is that we will find our identity and our unity in Christ, not in gender, race, or political affiliation. Our connection, our unity in the midst of diversity in our church is based upon our identity and our connection to Christ. Because his word tells us in Ephesians, his word tells us in Galatians 3, that we are one, isn't that great? We're one, we're unified in Christ. No matter our background, our country, our skin color, our gender, our educational background, our economic background, all of that doesn't matter. We can be proud of where we come from. We can be proud of our heritage. There's nothing wrong with that at all. At the same time, or, or, or superseding that, is our identity and our allegiance and the unity we have as a man or a woman that is in Christ. Christ is our identity. Not our nationality, not our skin color, not our gender. And God made us all the way we are anyway, right? I mean, could you control who your parents were? No. Could you control where were you born? No. Can you control the gifts or lack of gifts that you have? No. Can you control the body type that you had or if you had straight hair or curly hair or no hair? Well, you can change that now. But no, you, you can't control a lot of those variables in your life. There are a lot of givens. And the great thing about the gospel is that the gospel is a level playing field. It's a level playing field. And it says that we're all made in the image of God. We're all made in his image. We're all also broken and fallen. We're all equal in our sin before God. And through Christ and through the cross, we can also all be equally forgiven and accepted and loved 
and united by who we are in him. That's good news. That, that's the gospel that, that unifies us. And even as we go out in our culture, it can unify our culture as well. Not the division and the hate and the animus that we see going on right now that's literally insane. So Christ is the one and his word that sets our agenda that determines our identity and we are one in Christ so throughout this journey that we're going to go on in this series we have to understand who we are and how we are to live in our culture today so, so much of the issues that we're dealing with that stem from this neo-Marxist influence in our culture today, so much of it are based upon our identity and understanding our identity as opposed to the identity that people are trying to impose upon us. It's critical that we understand who we are as individuals. It's critical that we understand who we are as a collective, as a church and a body of Christ and the culture and where we live. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a great believer in Christ who understood what it was like to push back against the culture and against the church as he was fighting this in the 1930s and the early 1940s in Germany. So there are many people, men and women, who have gone before us, who have kind of given us a paradigm or a way or a path to follow, to understand who God is, to understand who we are during this difficult storm. I like what Blaise Pascal said. Pascal said this, he said, truth is so obscure in these times and falsehood so established that unless we love the truth, we cannot know it. When you're living in a time when what is evil is considered good, what was wrong is right, when people are trying to divide us and divide families and divide cities, cultures, towns, politics, whatever, we have to love the truth and love the God of truth and live his way in this moment. Pascal had another great, great quote. Pascal had a quote where he said that all of us are born with a God-shaped vacuum in our heart. And when I see, you know, many of these young people who are passionate about you know, pushing forward this, you know, neo-Marxist agenda. And they're so passionate, you know, a part of me, when I can step back, my heart breaks because there's a void in their life. And we all have a void, a vacuum in our life and nature abhors a vacuum. And if you don't fill that vacuum with God and with Christ, then something else or someone else will fill that vacuum in your life. It's just who we are as humans. It's unavoidable. Storm. Storm. It's here. It's been here. It's not little beta. It's out there right now. This is alpha on steroids. But the good news is, we know the one 
who can calm the storm.